Good morning, church. Today's scripture is found in Philippians 1, 12 to 18. Please stand for the reading of the word. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. This is God's word. You may be seated. All right. Hey, guys. Good morning. Uh, welcome to church. My name is Stephen Koppenreff, and uh, so glad you're here with us this morning. Uh, just wanted to, uh, first of all, just uh, say thank you for being here. Um, it's, it's always great to gather on a Sunday morning with friends, with community, and uh, just grateful that you guys have made uh, this, this uh, uh, good, good use of this time this morning, this Sunday, to gather together. Um, hey, one of the things that, as I, as I think back on, you know, 2020, COVID time, you guys all remember those times, and uh, they were good times, right? Good, a lot of fun. Um, but one of the things that I think about looking back on that time is we just had a lot of, a lot of time and space as a family, um, and one of the things, kind of the silver linings of that season was that we just got to play a lot of games, we got to read a lot of books together, we got to kind of get into this family culture of just... You know, kids were home from school, we were home from, from work, and so there was time, there was some space. And so one of the things that I, I'm, I'm grateful for and I'm a little bit just proud of is that our kids had the opportunity during those, those months, especially early on, um, all of our kids know how to play at some level the game of chess. Uh, so there's, there's a working knowledge at least where it's like, hey, that's an option, that's a go-to as a game. Um, any chess players in the room, by the way? Anybody like love chess? I'm just curious. Oh, cool. Right on, man. Cool. We'll have to play some time. Um, so chess is fun. Chess is great. Some of you maybe don't know how to play chess, and that's okay. I'm not going to shame you. I'm not going to have you stand up or anything, but um, Koa will, will play you at chess at some point. But uh, what's, what's great about chess and what's infuriating about chess is the same thing, is that there, there really is a, a lot to it when you start. It's easy to get distracted by all the pieces. They're, they're all kind of uh, about the same sh size and shape. Uh, they all... Um, kind of uh, look similar, but they do very different things. Like each of these pieces have very different um, kind of parts and rules that are applied to uh, chess pieces. Some of them just, you know, uh, move straight up and down. Some of them go diagonally. Some of them uh, kind of do this seven L-shape kind of stuff. It's, it's hard early on to learn how to play chess. And I think some of the, some of the, sometimes when we learn how to play a game like chess, we can get distracted by all the complexities of the game and forget what is the main point. And, and if you play chess, and if you know, the main point is to protect your king and to kill the king of your opponent, right? And that's, that's the whole goal. And so sometimes you think you're doing well because you're like taking out pawns left and right. And you're like, well, this is going well, but it's actually not because you're not actually completing the actual objective. You're not actually uh, focused on the goal at hand. 
And as I think about this morning's passage, as I think about being hyper-focused around the main objective for us as Christians, uh, this is exactly what Paul speaks to this morning. He speaks to what does it mean to be Christian, what does it mean to know the gospel, and what does it mean to advance the gospel uh, no matter what. And this is his focus as he talks to the Philippians. And it's something that I want to just remind us this morning that advancing the gospel... Uh, proclaiming Christ, it's not just something for me as a pastor or preacher. It's not just for a street evangelist. It's not for the, the mature Christian who's older and has been around the block for all these years. Advancing the gospel is for all of us. It is, it is the thing that we should center our lives around. It's the only thing of importance, of eternal importance. And I want to remind that of you this morning because our, our big brother Paul reminds us as well. This great commission idea that we remember from Matthew 28, that we would go out into all the world and disciple people and see them be taught well and baptize them to know these things, to know the gospel. If I caught you on the way in, maybe you wouldn't be thinking about advancing the gospel on the way to church this morning. If I caught you in the parking lot and I said, hey, what's on, what's on your mind? What's top of mind for you? You'd probably be thinking about breakfast or getting kids out of car seats or you know, just kind of getting yourself together to be in front of people, right? And, and, and at times, that's not the most important thing for us. It's not a top of mind thing for us. And if you think about the focus of your life, it really is pretty different than how Paul saw his life. Paul had this unique ability to take everything in his life and put it in right order and priority. And he says, this is what's most important. It's, it's all about Jesus. It's all about the good news about him. And so while we are busy spitting plates and doing a lot of different things, Paul's like, man, it's all about the good news. It's all about Christ crucified. So as we think about Philippians, as we think about kind of our, our big idea this morning, I do want to uh, make sure that we're all caught up. We're, we're, we're just week in week three of our Philippians series. And so uh, this is a great week to be here as we are just getting this started a little bit. And as you think about Philippians, um, I want you to remember that Paul saw this group of people he was writing this letter to as a group that he loved deeply. They were gospel partners. And so that's what was, well, week one was all about this idea of gospel partnership. Uh, these are friends that are more than just simply kind of acquaintances or people that he met along the road. This is a church that he planted and was passionate about and loved deeply because they partnered with him. They were there with him and remembered him and sent him care packages and continued to pray for him in all these ways. And he said, look, you guys are more than just friends. You're gospel partners. Last week, we talked about this prayer that we read in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, and how the, the powerful prayer that Paul encouraged the Philippians to remember, that, uh, that we would pray in big ways. Kate talked about it this morning. Uh, I, I really believe that 2024 should be a year of prayer for us as a church, that we would seek the Lord for these things, that he would sanctify us personally, but also challenge us to pray and think big as a church collectively. So this is where we're at. And Paul is speaking yet again about how he sees the gospel. So our first point this morning, I've already spoken to it, but Paul talks about this clear objective. This clear objective, and he says this in verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What has happened to Paul? 
That's the first thing we, we uh, are left with this question about what, what's happened to me. So he's filling in the blanks a little bit for his friends in Philippi. Well, you guys ever uh, text folks and you're in a text message chain or you're kind of going back and forth a little bit and it, there's this cadence and just rhythm back and forth, right? You're texting and they text back. You're texting and they text back and then you text and all of a sudden it's like radio silence. And you're like, what, what happened? <laughs> like, where are they? And, and maybe you don't have that delivered, you know, kind of note there or red receipt on your text message. And sometimes you just wonder, like, did I say something weird or what happened to that person? Were they driving? And something like, I, I hope nothing happened to them. And, and Paul is, is kind of addressing this here. What has happened to Paul? Um, where is he at in his ministry journey? And Paul says in verse 12, what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. The context is important that Paul is in prison. He's in a Roman jail, and uh, you know things have kind of gone, gone astray a little bit. And so we have questions from the Philippians to Paul, probably asking him in a letter of their own to Paul saying, are you okay? Is everything okay? We heard you're in jail. That's kind of crazy. If I had a friend who was in jail, I would have lots of questions, right? Are, are you sleeping all right? Uh, what's the food like? Uh, are you being treated fairly? What is your situation like in jail? And I would imagine that because Paul's established these Philippians are partners in the gospel, they care deeply about him, they want to know what's going on with Paul. How is he doing? What is, what is the situation like uh, in prison? And so all these questions are important because they show their love and care for Paul. But I like what Paul does. He kind of pivots, and he says, you know what, actually, what I really want to talk about is how my situation in jail has actually created more opportunities to advance the gospel. That's the big idea, guys, that I want you to be encouraged by. And so while I could speak about the quality of the food and the situation of what's happening in, in jail, uh, really, there's, uh, there, there's better things that are happening. By the way, Paul being in jail, it's, it's not like this dungeon kind of in the movie situation. He's, he's probably on house arrest. He's probably chained to a Roman guard. In fact, that's what it seems like. He's next to a Roman guard that's on probably four-hour shifts, constantly kind of rotating through, and constantly uh, probably a around a lot of kind of Roman uh, legion-type people, people who are in charge as authority figures all around all the time. And by the way, can you imagine if Paul was like an introvert and he was a, like, like chained up to a guard who was chatty all the time? That would be, that would be pretty frustrating. But uh, he says, look, here's the, the bottom line. Verse 13. Uh, here's what's happened to me. It served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. That's the headline, friends in, in Philippi. That's the thing I want you to hear. The whole Imperial Guard. So this was a, uh, a special group of soldiers. This was the cream of the crop. This was a group that, that probably uh, served the longest, were the best fighters. They probably had um, some privileges and special assignments. I think about when I was in eighth grade, I went and visited the, the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. And um, you know, one of the things I, I learned, and maybe you did that too, is that there were a special group of Marines that were charged with that task of marching back and forth. It was a very honorable position. And so this is kind of similar in terms of there's, there's a, a different roles in the military. And so the, the, uh, the whole Imperial Guard 
um, was attached to Paul on rotation. They had to be with him night and day. And what's crazy is that everyone is hearing his story. Everyone's hearing about his devotion to this guy named Jesus. And what's amazing is as the story gets, gets kind of carried along the whole imperial guard, uh, the, the word gets out. Like, this guy, Paul, he's not a dangerous guy. He's actually here because he's, like, totally obsessed with this guy named Jesus. And he talks about him all the time. And he's trying to get people to, to know about him. And, he's, and he's, he's reading scripture with them. And he's praying with them. And he's discipling people. Imagine being a guard who's chained up to Paul, the theologian, the missionary Paul, and you're just night and day hearing, by chance, people pray and be discipled and, and, and kind of have this front row seat to what's happening. And the word has gotten out, and it says in verse 13 that the whole imperial guard and all the rest, that my imprisonment isn't because like, of other people and their situations, it's for Christ. Everyone is hearing his story his devotion to Jesus. And so you think one thing, you think it's going to be this bad situation, like, oh, i got to be chained up to this guy. And uh, it's something completely different. It's something completely different. And so Paul is excited. Uh, there's this sense that he can share the whole story. You, you'll remember, you actually will read this later in Philippians, that Paul was like this model Jew because he, he knew the history uh, inside and out. He knew all about this coming Messiah that had been promised and prophesied over time. And because of that, he could lay out the whole uh, system of sacrifice that was no longer needed. He could talk about this Messiah who was prophesied about for years and years. And he could lay out this whole story and the end of the story being so sweet that we've actually experienced his coming. His name is Jesus. And Paul's like, this is an amazing opportunity. Soldiers are being saved. People are being changed. In fact, if you turn to Philippians 4.22, just a couple pages over, you see at the very end of the chapter, it finishes on final greetings. It says, uh, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Look at the fruit that's happening. Because of Paul's suffering in jail because of the proximity he has with unsaved people. What an amazing testimony. Paul's objective never shifted. He kept the main idea, the main idea. He could have been uh, in, in jail. He could have been uh, living the life of luxury. He could have been, you know, nowadays in an airplane, on, the, you know, on, on a ride in an Uber. Paul would have been obsessed with thinking about, how do I advance the gospel? How do I talk about Jesus? How do I move this conversation towards pointing towards Christ? I love Paul's complete focus on it. Verse 14, let's keep reading. And it says this, Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Verse 14 says, Most of the brothers, who's he referring to? Who's Paul talking about? He's talking about the church. Uh, in Rome and beyond. He's talking about this group of Christians, the, the brothers, probably his fellow pastors or preachers, people who love Jesus and would preach about them as well. And it emboldened them. It gave them confidence. And, and people thought, man, if Paul can share about Christ crucified in prison, we can, we can share about Christ crucified out here. No problem. 
Well, if you know your history, actually, it, it was a bit problematic. Um, the book of Philippians was written in the 60s, not in the 1960s, but the 62 AD. And it was written at a time where uh, Christians were starting to be persecuted at crazy, um, in crazy ways. In fact, uh, the, the emperor Nero, uh, maybe you've heard of him before, he started to kind of, kind of ramp it up in this time. And, and you maybe know the stories about how he, he burned down Rome and he crucified Christians and he, he, he put them in a place that was just incredible pressure and turmoil. And, and so it's in that context that when Paul preaches Christ and the brothers outside of jail hear that and are encouraged, they are encouraged even in the face of persecution. And so while Rome probably thought like, hey, this is going to die down, the, actually, the opposite effect happened, and the church grew. And that was good news. And Paul said, uh, hey, I'm encouraged by that. The mission continued no matter what the context, no matter what the situation. Now, this is probably not the update, by the way, that, that the Philippians were looking for. But again, that wasn't Paul's focus. He wanted to point out what was happening because of his time in jail. And so I just want to encourage you this morning as we think about Paul's singular focus on the gospel, um, and I realize that it might be easy for me to stand here and kind of shame us all collectively about, like, what are you doing to share the gospel in your life? Let me, let me just try to encourage you to think um, intentionally this morning, though. What's, what's preventing you from thinking like Paul does in your life? And, and, and look, maybe it's legitimate stuff. Maybe it's important things. You have responsibilities and a job, and you have a family to care for. You have, you have things that are on your plate. You have weight on your shoulders, things on your mind. But Paul, for some reason, was able to set those things aside. I'm sure he had responsibilities as well. And he was able to be completely focused on Jesus all the time. And so what is it in your life and in my life that prevents us from thinking in the same way. Maybe it's not so much, you know, jail or hardship in that way, but it's probably things just like our busy calendar, being kind of stuff packed with, with things all the time, right? It's our, it's, our, our, it's our lackadaisical approach to just kind of saying yes to everything, not leaving room for us to think about spiritual things, to, to, to pray for our neighbors, to, to let the gospel advance in our own life first, in our own heart to start with. I'm convicted by this as well. And I just hope that as you think about Paul's focus, that it would be challenging and convicting, but it would also spur you into thinking about, how can I grow in this area as well? How can I uh, make this more of a priority in my life? We see a clear objective. That's what is laced throughout this whole passage. The second thing that we see is mixed motives. Mixed motives. We see that in verse 15, it says this, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. There are some mixed motives here. There's, there's rivalry and envy versus goodwill. Some people um, who were preaching about Jesus while Paul was in jail, they were opportunists. Uh, you guys know what opportunists is? Uh, people who, who find and are looking for ways to get an edge 
whenever they can. I remember I went to college uh, nearby at, at APU in Azusa, and uh, this was uh, many years ago, but I remember there was always this awkward time of the semester when some people would move out before other people, and they would just kind of leave things in their rooms a little bit more lackadaisically. And I remember there were some people uh, around me, uh, you know, probably even friends of mine, who would kind of walk, wander around and be like, well, this person's not using this anymore. And they would just take stuff from people's rooms that were kind of half moved out. I think that's called stealing, but <laughs> like, they would say, hey, we're being opportunists, right? Someone needs to take better care of their stuff, right? Or there's always that like in college or maybe a shared apartment, like washer dryer situation. There's always that like those clothes that are left a little bit too long. It's like, I guess this guy doesn't want this anymore. So I got myself a new jacket now, you know? So it's like, that's, that is stealing, by the way. And so I encourage you guys to not do that. But this is, this is a little bit of what's happening here in Philippians chapter uh, 1. There's, there's folks who are seeing Paul's situation. And they're like, man, I'm tired of this guy, Paul, getting all the attention. I'm, I'm tired of this guy, Paul, who's, who thinks he's so great. He's planning all these churches. He's, he's kind of on the radar of everybody. And so they took the opportunity and said, hey, how can, I, how can we get our name out there a little bit more? Now, we're going to preach Jesus still, but we're going to do so in a way that kind of makes us more popular. We're kind of the popular group in town. They wanted to bang their own drum. They wanted to hurt Paul. And, and it's important that we remember that, man, this, this book is God's word, but it was written by real people, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And, and I say that because Paul was a person with feelings, with insecurities. Um, by God's grace, it seems like God was very much at work in those insecurities. But he was a real guy. And so he, he brings up kind of like, man, uh, this is done out of rivalry. This is done not from goodwill, but it's done from envy. And yet he shows this maturity, and he gives this godly response, and you see that, again, what's most important? Well, it says in verse 16 that he chooses to focus on those who preach from love. Verse 16 says this, the, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. And so he says, thank you to those who preach from love. There are some people who, while they're preaching from rivalry, other people are preaching from love. And Paul's like, let's, let's talk about them for a second. Now, by the way, these are not good friends, probably. This is not Timothy. This is not travel buddies and partners. But these are gospel partners, similar to those that we read, read about in the first verses of Philippians. And I just want this to be instructive to us as we think about those who adhere to the true gospel. Like, if we are in the family of God, regardless of people are in this room or not, there's another church, by the way, that meets on this campus. It's a mostly Asian church. There's a kind of a, a, a black uh, African church that meets over at Gracie Oakley down the street. I've met both those pastors. They seem to be guys who are preaching the gospel. And, and I want us to remember that, that we have more in common with those folks than we do with some of our friends that we associate with all the time. People that we play golf with or serve on boards with or uh, their kid, our kids go to the same school. We have more in common with these folks who are very different than us as far as life goes probably. Maybe they eat different food or do different things for fun or have, have kind of a difference in social life but because we preach the same gospel, because we adhere to the same good news of Jesus, we have have so much in common with them. I want you to remember that 
that one day when we get to heaven, it will be like a big family reunion, and we will be there, and we'll all just see these people who are very different than us. And we're going to see, like, Aunt Sherry, who, you know, it does, has, like, personal space issues, is a little bit too close, right? It's like all these folks who will come out of the woodwork, and it's like they love Jesus, though. They have kept the first thing first. They're primarily about the gospel, and yes, they talk about other things, and they're into other things uh, in all kinds of ways, but when it comes to the most important things, they're like us. And so I hope that's instructive to us to be, to be generous and to be kind of those who um, adhere to primary doctrine. One of the things we talk about in our membership class is is something we kind of call uh, theological triage. And it's this idea of that there's primary, secondary, and tertiary issues when it comes to theology. And you'll hear about this in our class if you come to it, or maybe you have already. But basically, there's certain issues that are bullseye issues, center of the target issues, our sin, uh, Jesus being the Son of God, uh, his death and resurrection. These are things that are su- super important. They're complete, it, it means being Christian. It, it means that we believe uh, the same things when it comes to the most important things. And then there's other things that are lesser of importance. How we practice those primary issues are of lesser importance. And so as we think about our, our day and age where everything feels very tribal and it's either like you either believe what I believe or you know, forget you, I don't like you at all, that when it comes to how we live as Christians, we need to keep first things first. And if people love Jesus, if they're centered on the gospel, we have so much in common with them. That's what Paul's saying. Verse 17, he continues on, and he says this. He says, The former proclaimed Christ at a selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So now he starts to make some comments about those who are trying to be hurtful. Now, who are these people? I'm not sure. And I kind of like that Paul doesn't give details. I think it's actually helpful to us because it makes this letter, this portion, much more timeless. It makes it much more applicable to all of us. Because if he said, hey, you know, Pastor Joe at First Baptist Rome is like preaching out of, you know, selfishness and envy, where we'd all be like, well, forget that guy. Pastor Joe's a jerk, right? And it's like very easy to kind of paint him in a corner and be like, it looks like Paul's got an issue with Joe, and that's, that's their issue. Well, no, he doesn't say that. He says, look, there's this principle that I want you to understand that when people preach out of selfish ambition and they do so out of, out of envy, this is, uh, he, he gets to it, but this, is, this should be your perspective on it. And he doesn't talk about the, the details, Paul's humble. He's not focused on, on his feelings or how it affects him or how it makes him look bad in front of other people. Look, we can be immature uh, when it comes to these things sometimes. And I think it, it, it happens to us in sneaky ways. Like how we constantly compare ourselves spiritually to other people and how we constantly try and, I mean, and we would never say it out loud, but maybe we have this pecking order in terms of our mindset of like, hey, who's the most spiritual person in this room? Who should be talking right now in this conversation? 
Maybe you're in Mitchell community this spring, and I hope you join one, uh, by the way. We'd love to have you be a part of MCs this spring. And maybe you're sitting there, maybe you're in discussion, and you just have a good point to share, and you start sharing it, and someone interrupts you. And it's like that person, again. And they're so annoying. So they, they interrupt you. There's this, this, this context, what's back and forth. They interrupt you, and you're saying something very spiritual, something really helpful. And, and all of a sudden, they pipe in with their thought. And their thought is not as you know, well-developed as your thought. Their thought is, is not as biblically grounded as your thought. But they decide to interrupt you. And, and, and you have some thoughts of your own, right, kind of coming across your mind. I just want to encourage us when we're in those situations, when we think about the people who annoy us or frustrate us or maybe even put us down um, in, in ways that are not helpful, to keep first things first, that it's like, man, well, at least that person, at least they love Jesus, right? At least they're in community with us. At least they're, they've decided to engage in this way and, and, and even talk about him aloud. Praise God for that. And that's what I, I think is instructive for us as we think about how Paul thinks about people who may even be out to, to hurt him in a way. He focuses on the shared love for Christ. And what I love about it is we see at the end here is that Paul doesn't just put some nice silver lining on it. He doesn't just uh, simply put up with it. It would be easy to say, kind of be a bigger person, but he says in verse 18 this, and this is kind of where we'll end. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Man, what, what an encouraging, mature word from Paul. He doesn't just put up with it. He says, in this, I rejoice. I find joy. I find deep meaning. It's a wonderful thing that they are proclaiming Christ. And it doesn't matter how they're doing it. It doesn't matter that, that they may do so with mixed motives. And, and, and so... As, as you think about this in your own life, um, I, I want us to remember that, that Paul keeps first things first. He rejoices in this truth. He looks past his feelings, his ego, his self-doubt, and he keeps a kingdom perspective when it comes to what is most important. Um, God was saving people in Rome because of Paul's imprisonment. And it wasn't pretty, but it happened. It, it reminds me, actually, I, I think that uh, for those of you who are into sports, who enjoy football especially, I think you kind of understand this idea a little bit more than you realize. Um, maybe you have a team that you love, and, and maybe they play a game on any given Sunday, and they get the win. And so somebody says like, hey, hey how was the game? Well, it, it wasn't pretty but we got the W, right? Like, if you've kind of heard that idea before, it wasn't a pretty game, it wasn't a good game, but we got the W. Um, I was thinking about this, um, December 2023, just like last month, there was a game, I think on December 10th, between the Raiders and the Vikings, and it was a terrible game. It was not a good game at all, okay? I think there were injuries, and there were, like, missed field goals. There were all kinds of things that happened, and it wasn't a high-scoring game whatsoever. In fact, going into uh, the fourth quarter, uh, the score is 0-0. Zero to zero. And by some, like, stroke of luck, the Vikings, like, in the last four minutes, uh, were able to hit a field goal, 
and the final score of the game was zero to three. Now, can you imagine going to that game, spending hundreds of dollars, spending lots of hours of time to watch a, a game where the final score is zero to three? And it's like this idea, right, of like, well, the Vikings are probably like, it was not pretty. It was not a good time, but we got the win. We got the win. I, and I think sometimes, church, we need to remember when it comes to spiritual things, Paul defines the win in this way. It's all about the advancement of the gospel. It's, it's all that's important is that Christ is proclaimed, and I don't care. I don't give a rip about whatever else happens around that. That's the most important thing to me. What a, what a great example for us to follow, that no matter what happens, no matter what good or bad, if you're thrown in jail, if people like you or people don't like you, can we all agree that this is of, of first importance? Let's pray that God would al align our hearts in that same way and ask the Lord to do that miracle in us. Let's bow our heads together. God, we're thankful that you have given us this chance to see uh, what is most important. And, and God, I, I realize that that idea of important things, Lord, it starts with an understanding of the good news of Jesus. And so, Lord, I just pray this morning that, that for, for those of us in this room, that we would be reminded, and maybe perhaps some of us would hear for the first time, that there is hope for us in the cross, that because of the work your son did on the cross, we don't have to work on our own merit. We don't have to work out our own salvation. Lord, but instead, you have done the work for us. And so, God, we're so grateful for that, that all we have to do is repent, turn to you, put our faith and our belief in you, Lord, and you do all the rest of the work. And God, I, I pray that, that that truth would transform the rest of our lives. It would reprioritize our goals, that it would make us clearly focused on the right things, and it would set, help us set aside the things that are not so important. God, would you mature us individually as a church? Would you mature us in the area of prayer that we would call out to you daily to help us with these things? Only you, Lord, can make the gospel most important in our lives. But God, would you, would you just grow our affection for that good news more and more? We love you and praise in your name. Amen. Amen.